This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Horror. Scary movie fans, such as myself, will hear that a movie is based on a true story. A few of them we know, but most... Well, we never go on to find out just what that true story is. So in this series, we will explore and find out exactly what the true story is behind the movies we love. The 2013 movie, 3096 Days, is a movie about a 10-year-old girl named Natasha. The movie starts with her mother waking her for school, urging her to hurry and get ready, and they argue. Her mother strikes her face, but immediately regrets it. It is obvious Natasha's mother loves her daughter. The little girl leaves their apartment, visibly upset and crying, and begins walking to school. Then, just as another schoolgirl watches, a man in a white utility van stops, he gets out, He grabs little Natasha off the sidewalk. He puts her in the van and he drives away. It takes him all of a few seconds to get her. The other schoolgirl watches, powerless to stop what she knows she is witnessing. The man drives and pulls into a driveway surrounded by trees and visually cut off from the road. He takes Natasha, wrapped in a blanket, inside. He takes her down and through a tunnel he has in his house. He leaves her in a small room and locks her in. As Natasha realizes she is alone, she pulls the blanket off of her and begins to take in her surroundings. She is lying on a wood floor. Above her is one round white light. In front of her is a very small tiled area with a sink, a toilet, and a door on one wall. She gets up and tries to open the door desperately, beating on it and yelling for help, but there is no use. Against another wall is one fan that is blowing in fresh air. The room appears to be about four feet by six feet. There seems to be no escape. The man later brings in a thin, rolled-up mattress on the floor for her and brings her some food and water, then immediately leaves, locking her in. As days go by, as the man lives his life upstairs, he also comes downstairs to her and reads books to her, trying to appeal to her and get her to like him, even kissing her on top of her head as if to say, "Good night." Meanwhile, her mother and grandmother are crying, watching the news, and seeing people putting up missing posters for the little girl, wondering desperately where Natasha had gone. So what happens next? For those of you that have seen the movie, know, and for the rest, 
Well, you'll just have to watch it. Though, disclaimer, disclaimer, it's a rough movie to watch, so viewer discretion is advised. This movie is based on the true story of Natasha Kampusch, and a great deal of my source material comes directly from her book, 3,096 Days in Captivity. Natasha lived in Vienna, Austria with her mother. The then 10-year-old girl's parents were already separated, and she had been with her father on a sort of vacation in a house that he had purchased just across the border in Hungary. He spent too much time with his friends and also with alcohol. She stated that she wasn't thrilled to be there, but was making the best of her visit with her father, whom she adored. When they got back to his house due to his drinking, he decided to lie down on the couch and take a quick nap. Natasha was irritated because she knew they'd be late getting back to her mother's and she'd have to listen to yet another fight between them. And she was right. Her mother exploded with rage against her father and even said she wasn't going to go visit her father anymore. She and her mother lived in a kind of government housing complex. Her mother had had her when she was 38 years old, already having two grown daughters from her late teens. But her mother had raised her much older sisters as a single mother, worked very hard as one would have to, and she hadn't counted on getting pregnant with Natasha. The apartments they lived in had been built to bring the community together, of course, but as time had gone on, they became more run down and the people living there had a lot of their own troubles, immigrants trying to find work or people with severe mental illness and substance abuse problems. Her mother did not want her playing outside in the courtyard area and really never wanted her alone, period. But other children played there and she desperately wanted to play with them. Now her mother had carved out an actually pretty good existence being a seamstress. She made clothes or repaired clothes and was quite talented at it, using looks that she found in fashion magazines. She had raised her first two daughters on that income alone, and many sought out her talent. Natasha, as a baby, wore only the best and prettiest her mother could create, and she received many compliments. Because of this and the fact that she had been such a young mom, her mother was an old soul of sorts. She wasn't the kind of mother who came running, arms out wide, to grab and hug her daughter, squealing and whatnot. Natasha knew her mother loved her, but she also knew her mother showed her she loved her in different ways. Her father, however, was a lovey and cuddly man. He played with Natasha and they had a great time when he wasn't drunk. Her parents really didn't get along, and by the time she was of any age to remember, they were headed for divorce. They had owned a bakery together for a while, but her father had put the family dangerously in debt, and young Natasha had witnessed a lot of her parents' screaming fights. 
her mother's frustrations would sometimes spill over onto her daughter. If Natasha would misbehave, as all children do, on occasion her mother would slap her face. And while we think that that is going too far, Natasha stated in her book that it wasn't entirely uncommon for many children in that area. With her parents fighting bitterly, the stress of feeling like she must choose between them, their new partners that Natasha had to get used to, she felt ignored and overcompensated with food. She gained weight rapidly, and the other kids made fun of her, as children do. So, back to when her father had dropped her off at home. Natasha was angry that her mother had declared out of frustration that she would never be allowed to go with her father ever again, and she was very upset. According to sources, her mother had never allowed her 10-year-old daughter to walk to school alone before until this one particular day, the day after she had returned from her father's. Her mother watched her daughter from the window walk down the sidewalk until she could no longer see her. Assuming all was well, she went about her day. Little did she know that she would not see her daughter again for eight years. Natasha stated that she was about a third of the way to school when she noticed a man standing next to a white van on the curb next to the sidewalk, seemingly waiting for someone. She said her instinct was to cross the road before she reached the van, but she didn't. She wanted to be brave and strong. And as the little girl got closer to the man, he looked over at her and she thought he was perhaps a college student and felt a little more at ease. And then he reached out and grabbed her. He put her in the van and he quickly drove away. She said that she tried desperately to scream, but she was so completely terrified that, quote, no sound came out. My vocal cords wouldn't work. It was just a silent scream, unquote. Now, being only 10 years old, she didn't know what would happen to her other than she believed right then and there that her life was over. The man told her that if she was still and didn't make a noise, he wouldn't kill her. Natasha had the presence of mind to try to watch out the windows of the van and made the effort to pay attention, watching treetops and utility poles go by. Natasha asked the man if he was going to molest her, to which he quickly and angrily replied, quote, You're too young for that. I would never do that. Unquote. Then... The van stopped. The man got out. He wrapped her in a blanket or some kind of rug and took her through the garage. Inside, there were steps going down below ground level. Then he had to move a very heavy safe to reveal a smaller door behind which he dragged her through. And once they reached her new prison, she stated it was dark. She began to count counting the seconds and the minutes, trying to keep track of how long she was in the room, but of course she lost count. He left her alone for a while, but then, just like the movie, he later brought her a very thin mattress, and the only blanket she had was the blue one he had wrapped her in. 
she used her jacket that she had been wearing as a pillow. The room itself was very small, about 54 square feet in total, with a toilet, a double sink, and her makeshift pallet on the floor. The room was completely soundproof with no windows, only a small fan to blow in fresh air, which wasn't very fresh. It was actually quite stale and dusty. But he did read her a bedtime story, and he did kiss her on the forehead innocently. The man's name was Wolfgang Pricklapil. At this time, he was thin, and she described him as looking about college-aged, though in truth he was 36 years old. He had brown hair and kept his appearance immaculate. He was the only child born from his parents. His father was a beverage salesman, most often cognac, and his mother was a shoe saleswoman. It is rumored that after he was an adult, he had had a daughter with a co-worker, but I actually couldn't find out whether or not that was 100% true. He lived in the house, though, that his grandfather had owned before he died. During the Cold War, Wolfgang's father and one of his sons built a bomb shelter under the house, and when his grandfather died in 1984, Wolfgang inherited the house, and he moved in. He, at that time, worked as a communications technician. So once Natasha was below ground, within a few days, he began taking her things, first her school bag, and then her shoes, which he actually burned, telling her she would no longer be needing them. Now, her mother realized Natasha was late getting home from school and began to worry, of course, as parents would. She called the school, where she was told Natasha never showed up that day, and she was nowhere to be found. She contacted the police, and a massive search effort began. People called in with information, but not much of it was helpful, until the little girl that had witnessed the kidnapping came forward, stating she saw Natasha being taken and put into a white van. Now, as the police went around interviewing anyone that owned a van matching the description the girl had given, they interviewed one particular man who lived only about half an hour away from Natasha and her mother. The man stated he was alone at home that morning. When the police asked him about the white van he owned, he stated that he had been using it to move unneeded materials from a construction site to his home. There were materials of that kind in the van, so satisfied, the police left. The man interviewed was Wolfgang. So when he would go down and visit Natasha, she stated he spoke to her as someone would a beloved pet. He didn't raise his voice, and he assured her that she would not be harmed. He looked down at her at first, as if he had just gotten a new toy, and wasn't quite sure where to begin. She pleaded with him to let her go, of course, that she wouldn't tell anyone about him. He assured her she was not going anywhere. But rather than rage, she simply accepted it. 
Here is how she described that moment. Quote, as an adult, you know that you give up a little piece of yourself whenever you have to tolerate circumstances that, before they occur, are completely outside the realm of imagination. A crack appears in the foundation on which your own rests, and yet adapting is the only correct response as it ensures your survival. Unquote. And I think that's a very clever thing to say. So, Little Natasha busied her mind with thoughts of once she escaped or got out, how her parents would be so relieved to see she was alive and home safely, that perhaps they would get back together and talk to her of how very brave she was. Now, Wolfgang would, at first glance, appear to be very normal and nice. He had always been a bit of a loner, and he really only had two male friends. He suffered from severe OCD and delusions. To him, the world was a dark and evil place. Girls had never really paid any attention to him his entire life, so he had made a decision. He would find a young girl, a virgin who was wholesome and untouched, to mold into his perfect companion. Step one was already complete. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. As Natasha demanded to be let go, Wolfgang would tell her that, yes, he would eventually let her go. At first, he left the overhead light on for her at all times because she had begged him to for fear of the dark. And in the beginning, she paced and paced like a caged wild animal. And also because, quite literally, there was nothing else to do. She said she could take six steps in one direction back and forth, and only four in the other. Wolfgang brought her anything she asked for to eat, and she warmed to his company. Anything was better than the feeling of being completely alone in that tiny room. He brushed her teeth for her and refused to allow her chewing gum for fear that she might choke on it. He even played board games with her and treated her in a very fatherly manner. And then sometimes he told her that he was supposed to have kidnapped her and given her to a group of men in a child pornography ring and that they could show up at any time to take her. So yet again, she felt torn. On one hand, he was her kidnapper. On the other, her protector and the only company that she had. As time went on, he bought her presents, nice new clothes. He brought other clothes, like green shirts that she stated were obviously kept from a previous military career. He also eventually brought the contents of her school bag back so that she had paper and a pencil and books. 
She decided to write a letter to her parents and even encoded some clues as to where she thought she was and then begged Wolfgang to mail it. At first he refused, but eventually he caved and assured her that he would mail it. But then, of course, the next day he returned, stating that the men that wanted her for the child pornography had ripped the letter from his hands. But he did bring her a very old computer that she was allowed to play games on. So the mask of her protector, as time went on, became ever increasingly thin. If she maintained eye contact with him for too long or argued with him too much, he would become angry and threaten to take the light bulb away so that she would be in total darkness, or he'd simply threaten to tie her up. His paranoia would rear its ugly head. He began telling her that her parents didn't love her and that they didn't want her back, that they were, quote, happy to be rid of you. Unquote. At some point, he brought down a hot plate and a very small oven. And side note, it was actually most likely a microwave, but the book was translated from German, so just so you know. But he brought those things down so that she could cook her own food. He brought her prepackaged food, and she enjoyed the new sense of independence. But he still visited her, usually a couple of times a day, and ate with her or shared a cup of tea. He then eventually brought her a small folded table, and when Wolfgang would visit her for a shared meal, he basically trained her to happily set the table and make the food. And when it came to bathing, Natasha had no hot water. So Wolfgang brought bottles of warm water to her dungeon to her, then helped bathe her in the double sink. And thankfully, there was no sexual aspect of that act. Every single day, she asked Wolfgang what day it was and in what month. She requested an alarm clock so that she could at least tell what time of day it was. She tried desperately to keep track of holidays and how many days and weeks of school she had been missing. Eventually, black mold began to grow on the floor due to the extra humidity and moisture the already damp dungeon created after her presence. She asked Wolfgang to bring her cleaning supplies and she busied herself cleaning every spare corner and surface of her small cell. Natasha drew pictures and stuck them to the walls to create murals of what her life looked like before she was taken. Wolfgang then brought her a television and a VCR, allowing her to only watch what he had pre-recorded. The radio he gave her was tuned to only pick up on one Czech radio station, so she couldn't understand the radio disc jockeys or what they were saying. But after some time, the kidnapper began turning from a nice, nurturing caretaker to a dictator. It seemed he would invent things that she did, tell her that she had been bad, then withhold books or videos from her, which were her only source of entertainment. He would see to it that she had food for a few days, then not come down to visit for an entire weekend. 
You see, it was a double-edged sword. She hated him for taking her, and yet he was her only friend, and she was completely dependent upon him. His company was better than none. But the real reason he began abandoning her for the entire weekend was that his mother began visiting and staying there on weekends. Natasha, of course, was not aware of this until years later. Wolfgang installed an intercom system in which she could push a button that would then cause a red light to glow in a hidden part of the house. But then again, he wasn't always right there to see the light. And that system allowed him to listen in on her for an indeterminate amount of time, whether or not she was aware. He began demanding she call him maestro, but she refused. And after nearly a year in captivity, Natasha asked Wolfgang for a hug, which he did do. She told him then and there that she forgave him for taking her. Even at 11 years old, she had some awareness that he was mentally ill. And though a criminal, some of this was beyond him, which is incredible. So then after a year of captivity, she plunged into a depression and Wolfgang finally allowed her out of her cell. She was told that if she screamed or did anything to call attention, he would have to hurt her. He told her that the windows and any possible exits were rigged with explosives. And if she attempted escape, she would blow herself up. Any failure in any of his instructions would result in death. As he led her up and out, she realized that due to the lengths that he had taken to conceal the entrance to the dungeon, that there was no way anyone was ever going to find her prison. So he took her into his house and he ran her a bubble bath. And for the first time in a long time, she was able to just relax just a bit before being ushered back down into her prison. But since she had passed this test, the visits upstairs became more often. Every couple of weeks, she was allowed upstairs to take a full bath or a shower all the way to her being allowed to eat and even watch TV with him in the house. At this point, the lack of sunlight and any other interaction had wore the girl down so much that she merely complied with any and all of his demands. She already knew if she committed any small infraction, he would explode into rage. She cleaned and scrubbed for him on her hands and knees or laying flat on the floor. And while doing so, she noticed that he had a prized book on one of his shelves. And the book was Mein Kampf, Hitler's book. Wolfgang was proud to tell her that he believed Hitler to be correct in his treatment of the Jews. So, surprisingly, at one point in the future, he took her outside one evening in December, under the threat of death, of course, if she did anything to call attention to herself. She remembered feeling the grass under her feet, and the fresh air was something that was indescribable. So, in the year 2000, two years after being abducted, 
she realized that she had begun to menstruate. She explained to Wolfgang what items she needed, but this new development put his paranoia into overdrive. He made her feel dirty and disgusting. But with this, she was allowed more time in his house to do the work he demanded of her, slave labor, of course, and she was always fearful of touching a window or a door. But she was satisfied being able to see out blind-covered windows and having a tiny view of blue sky and green vegetation. This was also around the time that he had began to physically abuse her. At first, he threw random objects at her if she made a, quote, mistake, but that turned into him beating her, and then that turned into often. He once grabbed her hand and rubbed it up against a plaster wall to the point that it made an open wound on the top of her hand. He then, in his paranoia, would reopen that wound again and again, and she stated it took years for that to fully heal. She still has that scar on her hand to this day. Wolfgang once also stabbed her in the knee. She stated the pain was so intense she could barely stand it, but then he turned around and took care of the wound. He kicked her and beat her, creating wounds that he would then cause repeated injury to so that they would never fully heal. If she cried, he would grab her by the throat drag her to the sink, and while choking her, nearly unconscious, he would run her face under the water. Enduring these episodes began making her have full panic attacks, understandably. So then at 14 years old, she tried to fight back in a way. He would begin to get loud, and she knew he was building up to a fit, so she would start hitting and slapping herself until he demanded she stop. At 15 years old, she hit him back for the first time. It caught him off guard, but he held her in a headlock until she stopped hitting him in the stomach. Also at this point, food rationing was another form of control he took over Natasha, he would say she was fat and ugly and brought a scale down into her prison and meticulously weighed her every day. He withheld food from her, and at 16 years old, she was on the verge of starvation. Natasha stated that, as she looks back, Wolfgang most likely suffered with anorexia himself as he was quite unnaturally thin. And he told her that he believed the food industry was systematically poisoning people as his paranoia would force him to. When they ate together, even something as small as one slice of pizza, she got one-fourth of the slice, and he got the rest. She stated her BMI, or body mass index, got down to 148 for reference, a BMI of 15 is considered an indicator of starvation. She often felt dizzy and had to sit down most of the time. She became weak and her legs could barely hold her up. At the time, she believed he was using the starvation as a means of making her behave, but looking back, she now knows it was to keep her weak and powerless. 
His near constant complaining about her hair pushed her to cut it off down to the scalp herself. But Wolfgang was so pleased that he finished it off with a razor down to the skin. And then he decided to keep it that way. So at 17 years old, here was this young teenage girl. She was gaunt, ribs severely showing, covered in bruises, toothpicks for legs, bald head, and her face sunken in. And yet Wolfgang began to open up to her in a way she never expected. He told her that he was an Egyptian god, and it was just natural that he have a slave. He demanded that she call him, quote, my lord, though she never did. She was old enough at this point to recognize that he was severely mentally ill. At some point, he began allowing her to sleep upstairs, but she was to sleep right beside him, the small spoon, if you will. And she was so thin that her bones hurt on top of the bruises that she had on her from his assaults, and now he wanted to cuddle with her. He would also tie their wrists together with a zip tie to ensure that she couldn't leave his side while he slept. He would tell her that if she could just truly relent and be his completely, both of their lives would just be so much better. So to set the scene, she was critically underweight. She rarely ever saw the sun. She stated her skin took on a bluish and concerning tone. She was a walking skeleton at this point. Then, out of nowhere, he decided to take her for a drive in the car. Not once in seven years had she seen anything past the perfectly manicured lawn that Wolfgang meticulously kept. He drove her outside of the city into a forest, where he allowed her to get out and stand and touch a tree. She savored that moment and took in the scents and the sights as much as she possibly could, but then he ushered her back into his car, drove back to the house, and locked her back into the dungeon. And then after, the beatings increased. Wolfgang began taking her on outings on occasion, but always under the threat that if she spoke out or did anything to stir attention, he would kill her and everyone else around them, and she believed him completely. She was so conditioned after seven years of training that there was little for him to actually be afraid of. Then before her 18th birthday, he told her he would take her skiing. To prepare, he had starved her nearly to the point of not being strong enough to walk. He took her to a shop to buy her a skiing outfit that would fit her and new necessary pieces of gear. She tried on a size extra small and it was still too big for her. But then she was on the slopes, terrified at first, but she got the hang of it. Wolfgang did allow her to go to the restroom without him and she tried to actually speak to a lady that had been in there but she found out that lady was from the Netherlands and didn't understand a word Natasha was saying. So after a while, Wolfgang began taking her out to help him fix up an apartment he had purchased to rent out to make more money. 
as they completed the work, he decided he was going to clean up the very van he had kidnapped her in. In a moment, as she was vacuuming the van, his cell phone rang, and he made the mistake of walking several feet away from her, where she was out of his sight for the first time in eight years. She mustered up the courage she barely had and ran. She ran as fast as she could for a neighboring housing district. She first saw three people walking toward her and ran to them, begging to use their phone to call the police. She desperately needed help. One of the people stated they didn't have a phone. So she ran up to a house, rang the doorbell, but there was no answer. Finally, she saw an older woman through a window and ran and beat on the glass, begging for help. She told the woman she was Natasha Campush that had been taken so many years before. So the woman wouldn't let her in the house, but she did call the police and police cars arrived. She was finally saved. As she told her story, there began a massive manhunt for Wolfgang. The authorities found the house and her dungeon, but no Wolfgang. That very night, he stepped out in front of a train and committed suicide. And for those of you who might want to see crime scene photos, those pictures are there if you want to Google them. Disclaimer, disclaimer, they're pretty freaking graphic. So there is a lot of controversy with Natasha because she does not hate Wolfgang. She now owns the house that he had held her captive in for over eight years. For years after she escaped, she refused to speak on whether or not Wolfgang ever sexually assaulted her. But since the movie was released, she has revealed that he did rape her over the years. She now owns Wolfgang's house and her prison has since been filled completely with concrete, but she doesn't live there, though she does visit it from time to time. And there are theories that Wolfgang did not act alone. The girl who had witnessed the kidnapping later stated another man was driving the van. Conspiracy theories began to spring forward from that. Natasha, to this day, states that she still finds it difficult to trust people, but she is doing the best that she can to move on with her life. Thanks for listening. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.